Hello. We are, are we on? Yeah, I forgot to do the countdown. <laughs> okay, all is good. All is good. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to our first ever live stream. I apologize in advance. <laughs> I think it's we're gonna be we're gonna do great. We've got a great pl plan. We've got an incredible show lined up for y'all. Um, this is the first time we're doing a live stream though, so I'm sure I'm sure we will uh, be learning along the way. But very excited. Um, yeah. So well, let's dive into it, huh? Who are we canceling today? Who are we canceling today? How about we cancel a whole bunch of people? I mean, we are live after all, right? But how about we start with Spotify? That that is one of the big ones on the list, and we're also gonna be canceling, uh, I think, Substack and Netflix and a lot of other things. There's gonna be lots of canceling tonight. <laughs> I mean, we have to take our licks in while we're live on the air, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous right now. Are you? Well, why? What makes you nervous? Um, I don't know. I just like I'm feeling like overwhelmed in a good way. But you yeah. know, it's like the first time we're doing something. So it's a new thing. Yeah, well, you know, we won't have the, the luxury of your amazing editing skills for this one. So fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we are gonna be taking questions from our audience. And you can ask those questions in our discord, which you've heard us um, promote before. Uh, and you can do that by becoming a supporter on Patreon. I imagine a lot of you already are, and we'd greatly appreciate you um, so, so much. We, we wouldn't be able to make this show without all of you. Um, and the Discord's been popping off lately. It's uh, it's kind of a happening place to be. Vibrant community over there. Yeah. Lots of canceling happening. I'm here for it. Um, do you want to go through some of our other guests today? Uh, we have so many incredible folks that we have talked to for the past year to celebrate our one year anniversary. Can you believe it's been a year? <laughs> I can't believe it. It's I, I really can't believe it. Did you think we'd make it this long? I did because I thought it was a great idea for a show, <laughs> but I'm, it, now we are here at a year and it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Um, and then, um, so yeah, our guests today are going to be, of course, Parker Malloy, who Caitlin already mentioned, um, Tara Field, who is, of course, uh, one of the trans women who was at the center of the Netflix stuff going on. We've got mm -hmm. Jude Doyle coming on, uh, Sarah Luderman, and Emily St. James, who you might know as Emily Vanderwolf. She recently changed her last name. And um, yeah, and so as we're having those great conversations throw in your questions and we're going to kind of start taking some questions from the audience now yeah um, well we wanted to talk about uh spotify before we get started right uh we yeah we we can we can start to talk about spotify absolutely i mean just a little bit uh i've been wrestling with this ourselves because of course we put our show out on spotify right so we had a little conversation about what we were going to do with that and and i think we decided that we were kind of too small to make a difference in that. But like, what are your thoughts on that? Whew. Um, so I, I have I have some messy thoughts that I am still working through. So yeah. the, the cancel daddy is going to be messy. And if you want to cancel me, that's fine. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that we are pretty small. And I think this is something that I have been struggling with as someone who is in the podcasting industry for a while. You know, Spotify uh, gives Rogan a lot of money. And so it's a little bit... Um, it's, it's a little bit different than just kind of the streaming, but you know, you have Apple podcast and they put these shows like on their top podcast list. Like mm -hmm. that is, and that's one of the biggest ways that people actually find podcasts is going through like Apple podcasts, like top list, which is why you kind of see a lot of the podcasts that are, get really big, stay big. And they're kind of like the same shows keep being recycled. So and so yeah. yeah, but by, you know, like Apple putting that in their rankings, I would argue that's, you know, obviously Rogan is only on Spotify now, so it's a little bit different. But by mm -hmm. like putting those in the ra ratings, like Apple is platforming a lot of this hate as well. And so I don't think it's an issue that is exclusive to Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think that there are a lot of like really value, like I, I, I hear the efforts to um, like, pick another streaming service for your music and i think that you know spotify is like perhaps the worst and so yes absolutely do that but like it's it's a bigger structural problem with capitalism and not like yeah. i don't know i feel like all of these issues like spotify is bad it's like well spotify is bad but also like capitalism is bad and that's it's not like we can just use another service and it's suddenly good yeah <laughs> like yeah uh, yeah, I think I'm right there with you, and, and I don't think it would do anybody any good if we were just, like, going to say, we're not going to be on Spotify anymore, because like you said, it's a problem for a lot of different platforms, but, um, yeah, so, uh, so I, yeah. So I will say um, <laughs> that um, one of the things that I have been thinking about and then I kind of brought up is like, okay, like who I actually tried to di divest from Spotify a few months mm -hmm. ago or like, uh, like several months ago. And then I got a new vibrator that syncs okay. with music. All right. And it only syncs with Spotify music. Oh no. <laughs> it only works with Spotify. So I'm stuck. So you have to cancel your vibrator. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I'm I'm going to like. I think that if you can, like, you shouldn't be paying for Spotify. But also, I'm a hypocrite and recognize that I am paying oh for Spotify God. because of my oh, vibrator. Man. And I feel like I have to own up to that. You know, I have to own up to, to the ways that I'm flawed. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure my mom is watching this broadcast. So I hope thank my you. mom's not watching. Thank it. you for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Caitlin? I said thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> You're so welcome. You're so, so welcome, Caitlin. Uh, my, my video is already distorted, but my face is literally turning red right now. Oh, God. Okay, well, we started that off with a bang. <laughs> do you want to, um, do we have questions already? You're the one sort yeah. of monitoring the question side, so. Yeah, so um, Alice asks, is there a more pathetic example of someone actively trying to get canceled than Ricky Gervais? No. Okay, so did you all see that? By the way, I'm wearing uh, our official merch for this show. Love it. 
This is my favorite sweatshirt. Um, yeah, so for those of you who didn't catch the news, uh, comedian Ricky Gervais, who has hosted, what is it, the Golden Globes, I think, in the past? I could be getting that wrong. Um, he basically was like, my next, uh, my next comedy show is basically designed to get me canceled right and it's just such a naked marketing ploy at this point and like we talk about um we talk about like the cancel culture grift economy it's a real thing like there's a huge difference between like random people on the internet we talk about this all the time random people on the internet who um are getting ganged up on and you know these comedians who actually court getting canceled because they know it'll boost sales by x amount right um so no there isn't a more pathetic i think uh version uh, of the cancel culture grifter than ricky gervais i think his whole existence is designed around trying to get canceled and it's pathetic oh oh that's fair that's fair i was going to say maybe glenn greenwald but (laughs) Great. Now he's going to tweet about us. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I mean, you could put a whole bunch of other people in that category. I mean, Barry Weiss is right there also. So um, I think those two kind of go hand in hand <laughs> these days, which is interesting. They absolutely um, do. Yeah. <laughs> so want to hear um, some of your questions. Um, someone asking, what are the biggest cancel culture questions that you struggle with? I think it's, uh, we did an episode a while back where we were like trying to, con- we were trying to like define what cancel culture really is, right? Because a lot of our show is meant or is designed around like talking about what cancel culture isn't. You know, it's not the latest conservative outrage of the day. You know, it's not, um, random comedians like facing criticism on the internet but you know we do talk about how like internet pylons happen to just random people right so finding that line between you know what actually is like quote unquote getting canceled and how it affects people's lives differently i think is right at the heart of of everything that i have trouble with with it how about you Um, A new thing that I am struggling with is that I feel like a lot of the outrage around cancel culture and like kind of our reactions, we are like misdirecting our rage um, at like individual actors and companies rather than larger systems. Um, And it distracts us from like actually solving (laughs) some of these problems. And so I think that that's something that I'm really struggling with and that I want to be talking more about as it relates to all of this, because I'm really interested in like, uh, I don't know, thinking a lot about um, creating positive change and what that looks like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we have time for maybe one more question if there is one. I get the notifications on my phone, so I see it's popping off. <laughs> um, someone asked, um, what will the verb phrase that'll replace getting canceled, cancel culture, and can we coin it here? I don't think wow. I'm going to come up with something right now, but I think that that yeah. can be a goal of the show. 
that's right. We should do an episode on that, really, I think. Um, but yeah, because we, we had, uh, you know, um, uh, we, we've talked about this before where, you know, what we consider cancel culture used to be PC culture for a long time, right? And it was mm-hmm. a backlash against, you know, PC this, PC that. I think it went through a phrase where call-out culture was kind of substituted f- for cancel culture. So we've gone through different phases of it, although I would say call-out culture is slightly different, uh, is a slightly different context than cancel culture, but each one of them has uh, has had, oops, excuse me. The first Everything te- good? First technical issue of the day. Uh, let's take a break. Okay, but before we do that, someone said Nobody maybe... Nobody can see my camera, so we should take a break. Okay, we're going to take a break. Hey, everyone. We are back, and we are being joined by the incredible Parker Malloy, who is the author of The Present Age newsletter, which you can read at readthepresentage.com. Um, if you're not familiar with Parker's work, she's also previously the editor um, at large of Media Matters, and she, we recently had her on the show to talk about the war on Christmas, which was such a fun episode. Thank you so much for joining us again. Hey, thanks for having me. That was uh, it was fun talking about the war on Christmas. It's one of those topics that is uh, permanently burned into my brain. <laughs> Caitlin, I want to let you know our audience is letting us know that you are muted, that they can't hear you. Caitlin's going to deal with that for just a moment. Parker, what are the big uh, cancel culture questions that you have been asking yourself lately? Oh, uh, I one thing I've been thinking. So one thing I've been thinking a lot about is yeah, uh, because watching the nonsense that happened with with. Uh, with with Caitlin was very interesting because I have been in that position many times and it is not fun. Watching watching people kind of freak out over what was very clearly a a mistake in her tweet um, right. was was very bizarre. I mean, just today there was a guy who responded to something she tweeted with like a screenshot of it and just I don't know. I I, th- I responded to it. I think I tweeted something like, "What are you doing with your life, man?" <laughs> and it's it's just it's really it, it's frustrating because I think a lot of it is you know most of us if if someone criticizes me if someone comes to me with some valid criticism or even if even if it's harsh criticism I will take that criticism to heart. I might not always agree with it. I might not always change what what I think or what I say or what I do based on it, but I will take it take it to heart. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what's important when it comes to criticizing things that other people say and do. But there's always this point, which ha- with Caitlin, it happened where you had people who were responding to her who were saying, uh, who who were just making these weird demands, bringing it up. And she would respond saying, okay, what, what do you want? What do you want from me? And they would say something very vague, like I want accountability or I want, I want you, uh, I want you to lose your job. It would either be something super vague or something super over the top. And, (laughs) uh, and, and that is something that I've been trying to wrestle with because 
while broadly I think the idea of you know cancel culture just generally is kind of overblown, especially the way it's talked about in conservative media where it's like oh you oh you criticize joe rogan that's cancel culture it's like no it's not he's he's gigantic he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> know i mean other except for the the funny thing is i went back and looked in and he <laughs> and i had a conversation on twitter back in like 2014 where i was just like hey man i don't think can you be better about trans stuff and and at the time he was he was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm totally pro-trans, just with the exception of uh, sports. And uh, I was like, I just, you know, try to do better. And now he's, like, having his show where he's just like, trans people might be the end of civilization. And I'm like, dude, how did you slip this far? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in addition to all of the, the anti-vax stuff and the nonsense. But, yeah, I think for the most part, the the concept of cancel culture um is you know the way it's the way it's often used is as a way to sort of deflect away from legit you know issues dis discussions disagreements because we can i can disagree with someone online very you know we we could strongly disagree with each other and it's not an attempt to cancel each other it's just i you know i am arguing in favor of my ideas and they may be arguing in favor of their ideas but it seems like in sort of the conservative world the the Barry Weiss the 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 substack type you know areas of the world um which uh the present age is on substack so here i am hypocrite <laughs> <laughs> um but but you know like so you've 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 got that where they just kind of deploy it as mm -hmm. as a it's a tactic it's it's not calling attention to something that's happening it's it's playing a card to stop you from criticizing them because mm -hmm. that happens a lot now. I mean, there are a lot of times where yeah, I'll see something online and I'm like, I don't even want to say that I don't like the TV show because someone's going to be like, oh, so you're trying to cancel whatever, mm -hmm. cancel this movie, um, which is kind of funny because I, I usually only say if I talk about a movie, I'd be the worst uh, movie critic ever because <laughs> I tend to just be like that was fun like it could be the worst movie and i'm just like i'm like it was good i mean and i <laughs> which you know maybe some people would like that just all positive reviews it's it's the opposite of my approach to literally everything else in life so. yeah. <laughs> um so Caitlin, the haters tried to cancel you from your own show. Oh my god, it was my definitely mistake. Definitely a joke on that I'm OBS stealing from the audience. Definitely a first time uh growing pain here. Um I I am not an expert in streaming, so please forgive me for that, but I think I should be good now. Um so uh why don't we see if uh our Discord has some questions for Parker? Yeah, um, Alice is asking, having a large Twitter follower account seems bad, but also part of the job for journalists. Can y'all talk about how you deal with that? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. I can do that. Um, it's, it's kind of a nightmare. Um, but it's one of those things that every, I think about it constantly. It's just this, this idea that, because I think I'm at like 247,000 
followers, which is kind of weird because that's the number I've been at for like two years now. Yeah. I feel like we've reached peak Twitter follower for me. <laughs> peak Parker. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like as I, as I gain followers, others leave because they're like, I, I just don't get it. Um, but the one thing that's really tricky about it is that I tried for a long time, I tried to be very, very accessible. Someone would have a question, I'd be like, cool, I can answer it. And now it's like, like I'm pulling up analytics.twitter.com because I'm curious. Okay, <laughs> so uh, mentions so far in February, uh, which has been three days, mm -hmm. um, 829. I mean, that's that's kind of kind of a lot. <laughs> um, New followers, negative 18. Yeah, that's the stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, okay, but for, so for example, um, in uh, January, 17,700 mentions. So there are some people who will tweet like, oh, you ignored my, you ignored my tweets. Like, like, geez, I didn't even see your tweet. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of a challenge. One thing I was, I was thinking about recently when it comes to um, when it comes to trying to deal with my online existence and just generally, I mean, when you're on Twitter and you're tweeting at someone, I tend to think of it as like, cool. I am just saying this to one to this person that I am tweeting this message at or whatever. But to the person on the receiving end of that, especially if it's criticism, mm -hmm. like if you get like. Like if I say, "Hey, I thought that last that article you wrote kind of sucked," mm -hmm. that's not like a huge deal. But if um, a thousand people say that to you, like it feels like you're in a room surrounded by people just hurling insults at you, even yeah. if the individual ones aren't that aren't that much, aren't that bad. And yeah. so I've I've been trying to like trying to think about my relationship with the internet generally. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a tricky balance to find because it's Twitter is not great for my mental health. I don't you know I think that's probably pretty common. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I need it to try to get people to subscribe to my newsletter mm -hmm. or you know to to read other things I write places. And anyone listening to this, I would really like it if you please subscribe to my newsletter. Um, and I think it's yeah, my favorite it's... Substack. Well, thanks. Even I mean, though I can't afford to subscribe to Substacks at the moment. <laughs> I mean, like, so I, I try to put, because I'm happy if people, free, paid, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. there's, you know, I, I kind of think of it this way. It's like the people who pay are helping cover the cost for all the people who read for free, um, which is wonderful. And I'm just amazed that anyone pays. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they didn't, then I wouldn't be able to do it. So. I'm glad they do um but free subscribers it's it's great it's i really enjoy being able to interact that way where i can send out a big newsletter email and and people i get a lot of really nice responses i get a few few angry responses mm -hmm. too like i didn't like this article i'm unsubscribing and i'm just kind of like i'm sorry <laughs> yeah um, I, I write for medium and i get just Everybody in the grandma has an opinion on my work, especially, yeah. you know, uh, 
the stuff that I typically cover. Yeah. I was going to say we were talking about Twitter accounts, and I remember when I first started following you, and like my writing career was was starting to grow, mm-hmm. and you were so nice and welcoming to me, and I'll always be thankful for that. But I remember thinking distinctly at the time, I was like, "Oh wow, Parker has thirty thousand Twitter followers." <laughs> Oh, I bet that's amazing. I wonder what that would be like to have. And now I'm sitting here, like, double that now. And I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, there's a misconception I think a lot of people have that they're like, oh, if you have it, you, oh, you have a blue check. Or, yeah. oh, you have, you have all of these followers. You could, it's like, okay, here's, here's the thing. I have less than 10,000 free subscribers to my <laughs> newsletter, which means that only one out of every 20, 25 people mm-hmm. who follows me on Twitter is actually subscribed to my newsletter. So it's like, I don't have the power to be like, to command a quarter million person army or anything. Yeah, It's like, I can't get them to sign up for a free newsletter, <laughs> um, let alone like yeah. launch into a weird, harassment campaign i mean i am not i am not glenn greenwald <laughs> I, I am not tucker carlson <laughs> but oh god you know, it's, yeah I, I i try to make the best of it and w- what i was kind of saying was, was with with the newsletter sending sending those out and then getting individual emails in return which i do take time to respond to as many as i can i have mm-hmm. an hour blocked off on my calendar every morning that just says respond to uh comments and emails and mm-hmm. so that's what i do i spend an hour writing emails back to people because i kind of consider that part of the the whole the whole thing the newsletter thing yeah and that is a way to keep a conversation a one-to-one exchange that's instead true. of just blasting it out to the whole world um because i can always just kind of not look at that email address mm-hmm. if for some reason it just got spammed you know yeah so so Parker, this is much too short of a conversation. Um, we do have to get to our next guest, but we'd love to have you back on the pod at yeah, some point of again. Um, congrats on congrats on the, the the success with the podcast. Thank and you, all of that stuff. And I will be anytime you want me to come back. I will. Okay, we'll keep that in mind. Definitely. Parker. Thanks, Parker. Cool. Thanks. All right, we're gonna take a short break, and we'll be back with Tara Field. Hey everyone, we are back and we are being joined by Tara Field. You might remember that we had her on the show back in, I believe it was November. She is a former Netflix employee who was a systems engineer who was at the center of the internal pushback against the transphobic Dave Chappelle special and she left the company in November. Right now she is on the hunt for a new job. So if you're an employer that doesn't suck, you should consider hiring her because she's (laughs) great. Thank you so much for joining us, Tara. Thank you. Uh, I think my video is a little choppy, but it usually clears up. We've been having some Comcast issues. Yeah, so uh, all of our videos have kind of been going in and out uh, throughout the evening, and we're just going to ignore it. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So how have you been? Can you kind of give us an update uh, on uh, everything that's happened since you're on the show? It doesn't have to be too too in-depth, but we just want to get a sense of where you're at now. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I resigned from Netflix at the end of November. Um, You know, we kind of resolved everything there just in terms of my employment, and I decided to take some time off. uh, And then I spent most of December figuring out how to take time off. 
because <laughs> I have never I have never actually done that. I have been full time employed since two thousand three, and I was faced with like a day where I had nothing to do. And after a couple of days, my partner's like, you know, you're just filling it with other work, right? And I'm like, is that not what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> a little birdie tells me that you play a lot of Fire Emblem. <laughs> yes, I. So my my partner has uh, been trying three to houses? get me to fire three houses. Wow. Yeah. So I've been I've been having a lot of very lovely tea parties. Oh, that's uh, amazing. You know, yeah. So uh, that that has been a lot of what I've been doing the past couple of weeks because my partner's been trying to get me into it forever, and I'm like. I don't know. It's just not clicking for me. And then all of a sudden I'm like, no, I want to do my like little gay tea parties now. So <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about your former employer, if that's OK. Sure. Did you catch the other day that the human rights campaign uh, took um, Netflix off of their list of best queer places to work? So uh, funny, funny enough, uh, both of my former my previous two employers mm -hmm. were removed from the list this time. Really? Because I worked for Netflix, and before I worked for Netflix, I worked for Activision Blizzard, mm -hmm. and they were both taken off. Oh, wow. Okay, so I missed that Activision Blizzard was taken off, but I'm actually kind of I glad would... to hear that. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised. I didn't get much coverage, um, and it, it's funny to me just because they were one of those companies that loved to trot out, like, how many great place to work lists they're on, and it's like, well, you were on them all, and you were hiding sex pests, so I guess those lists aren't worth very much. Yeah, what's the statue out front of Blizzard HQ that had the phrase that the company pretended to believe in? Oh, it had eight of them. It's there. There's an orc out front of Blizzard HQ. Yeah. And, and, you know, every voice matters and commitment to quality and all of these, you know, there are eight of them. And uh, I, I know a couple people would just... Uh, we're just putting new ones out, like covering them up with paper that mm -hmm. said what they actually meant, and that was uh, that was a that was a pretty fun thing to see. Yeah. So, what do you think about um, you know lists like HRC? I mean, of course, today there was news that HRC was sued by their former executive director for racial discrimination. So, like, I I've always sort of taken the HRC list with a grain of salt, but do you think that? queer people looking for jobs with bigger employees uh, actually take that list seriously? So I don't know that, uh, I don't know that I really know any queer people that have taken those particular lists into account mm -hmm. um, when they're looking for a job. But uh, what I have seen is just how many, like it feels like those lists are very much made for cis people. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like, and, and so I, I like it in that uh, I like people being taken off those lists in that the people being taken off are also cis people and will be mad about it. But in, practically speaking, like, <laughs> I think we all have our own whisper networks that we don't really need HRC to tell us, like, where is a great place to work? Because all of us are just going to message somebody and be like, hey, what sucks when we work here? I also just want to like say that like the the parent company of Fox News has a perfect rating, and so just yeah, complete seriously. bullshit. Like, <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm sure that I'm sure that Tucker, Tucker Carlson is out there just joining every single Pride ERG meeting at uh, at Fox News. It's probably super inclusive. <laughs> I was... oh, I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> no. I was wondering. Um, are you still like? Do you still get crap about the Netflix stuff like online? So I haven't. Uh, it, it died down mm -hmm. probably like 
probably like in December, it died down as the attention span of the trolls moved on to other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so every once in a while, you know, my my block party will light up with a couple people and it'll be somebody who's like so tragically behind on the times that they're responding to like a meme I posted like three months ago. And it's like, I don't even have to reply to you. If you're replying to my three month old memes, you've already lost. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, do I have time for a question? You do. Um, Tara, I have been really thinking a lot about like rest and I also have struggled to rest and have recently come around to, to rest and being able to enjoy rest and, and stop. And I'm wondering what what have you learned with that about rest or with that time like is there is there anything that you feel like yeah this time has been good for in in terms of that yeah yeah i think so so one of the things is like just how wired my brain is for like productivity is what i am for right like Mm -hmm. even if it's not like i am not providing value to an employer it's ooh, well i need to be handling projects in the house and you know, taking care of talking to contractors and all of these things. And like, I, it, it took me a while to realize like that rest and, and relaxation and recuperating uh, are actually things that have value on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, there's just this like, and, and I think it's like heavily American, like culture around this of like, no, your, your job is to contribute back and, you know, uh, if you're not doing that, you're you're providing less value to society or something. And it's like, you know, I actually don't think that's true at all. And I think taking a break is probably the best thing for me and my family. So I, you know, I, I focused on being able to do that. And it did take me a while before I got comfortable doing that. But uh, I did eventually get to that point. And it, it's actually been really nice. And uh, I, I watched a, a TED talk about from like 2014 about burnout and how long it actually takes you to recover from burnout and i realized like you know much to my horror that i think i'm still recovering from my burnout from like three years ago i don't think i ever recovered and certainly i didn't during the pandemic and so i've been actually really trying to focus on that so that when i get my next thing i'm actually like excited to do a job that i used to love and now i think about it and i'm like no i don't really want to touch computers right now (laughs) I totally, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Uh, I realized I was burned out about three months into the pandemic. Um, And I think back to what my life was like just before the pandemic. I mean, I was traveling all over the country, writing stories. And, you know, I had a couple of medical procedures and I was visiting family. And then when all of that shut down, it was like, oh, my God, I, I don't think I can maintain that same level of productivity through all of this. And I literally haven't been able to uh, since then. But I'm actually interviewing for a couple of jobs that I would absolutely love to get uh, that would be really amazing. I can't say anything about them. Uh, But now I'm thinking, like, can I get myself back up and into, like, the mood for productivity? I think that I can. I just hope that I haven't forgotten how. Yeah, and I... Well, and okay. I think uh, the the real upside of that is that all of the trolls that told you that they wanted you to lose your job, you'll now have one to lose. I know. So that'll be great <laughs> for them. <laughs> you know what? I had literally asked in, in this one interview that I had, I said, you know, 
if a bunch of idiots on the internet get mad at me, am I going to lose my job? Like, and this is something that I ask oh. all of my employers because I don't want to deal with that. That, that has been, uh, so I, I've interviewed, I don't know, I've done initial interviews with like seven or eight companies at this point. Like mm -hmm. I haven't done a lot because I, I've been trying to keep it to like companies I would actually like feel okay working for. And that's not a super long list right now, mm -hmm. but like there have been so many times where, uh, they they've said, so uh what 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 why did you leave your your job at Netflix and I'm like uh here's this New York Times article <laughs> like what am I supposed to say there like yeah. wait you didn't Google my name before we did this like what right. okay like uh, that's gonna be a really awkward conversation and then later yeah I'm like when I you know the times I've talked to like hiring managers I've been hey if this happened here uh what would happen. Because it's probably going to yeah. happen if, you know, like, and, and that's actually one of the biggest considerations for me has been, like, do I want to work somewhere that has a public platform at all? Mm -hmm. Do I just want to go be an engineer at, you know, Widget Corp 9000, where nobody will ever care what they say on the internet and kind of just put my head down and, and do some work? Or do I, but part of the problem is I love doing the work around like inclusivity and everything in addition to my engineering work but like mm -hmm. i think i probably need a little more time uh recuperating before i have that battery again because uh i was like you know there's that gif of like the battery walking across a screen and the indicator gets further and further down and he starts crawling and i feel like i'm the battery at the end of that gif still so yeah um oliver how about uh audience questions yeah. Um, can you talk about the way that high profile conservatives who have been quote unquote canceled are smothered with potential opportunities versus reaction to people like Kara who have to job hunt and deal with the aftermath um, after leaving uh, amid a controversy? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, there, there are plenty of people who have messaged me and been thankful and, you know, oh, I think you're great. And uh, you know, I, I, we would love for you to work here. Let's do your interview process and whatever. But there's certainly not been anybody who, you know, every everybody who replied to my tweets saying, uh, "Oh, you're just doing this for clout and whatever." It's like uh, I don't know, like anybody who's gone through the like internet 15 minutes of fame that thinks it's a good thing, right? Like <laughs> there were times, there were times where it was a little fun, but those were like isolated moments mm -hmm. and not the entire experience. And, and I think it's interesting that, you know, meanwhile, you know, I'm somebody who I am told that I am good at my job. Meanwhile, you see conservatives who are in particular like pundits and everything else who fail spectacularly at their job and then end up like, you know, the next week working somewhere. Uh, I, I can't imagine it was a very thorough interview process yeah. there. And so, you know, that's been and it's also been a little rough just doing that right after because interviewing itself I actually, I wrote an article, uh, a blog post about how much interviewing, at least in tech, but probably everywhere, just kind of sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I had some tech tech roommates last year, and they told me about the, the interview process for y'all. And, and I mean, all job interview is bad, but it just it just felt like a different kind of hell. So I just, I just want to affirm that that might be a different kind of hell. Oh, yeah. And like whole companies have sprouted up around the like interview industry and in tech. And it's like if you have companies sprouting up to 
make your interview process even more awful, like maybe you all need to go back to the table and rethink this. So Tara, uh, like I said to Parker, this interview is much too short. <laughs> Um, but we, we certainly appreciate uh, you coming on and, and being a guest of ours. And, of course, your support of the show um, is always appreciated. How can people sort of follow you or how do you want people to follow you um, if they just yeah, discovered so, you today? Yeah, I'm uh, Reign of Tara uh, on Twitter and uh, terrafield.me is links to all of my stuff. And uh, also, ha- happy, happy anniversary to you two. Thank uh, you. This podcast is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. All right. Well, once again, we are going to be taking a short break. And is, is Jude up next? We'll be back with Jude in just a minute. Hey, everyone. We are back with Jude Doyle. He is the author of the comic Ma. It is a horror series that explores the anger of those who are trapped by society's expectations and the monsters that are born from that collective rage. That sounds I'm really excited to um, get the series that is coming out in the collected edition this summer because I relate pretty pretty hard to some of those themes and I'm very excited about it. Um, if you're not familiar with Jude, they are also a columnist at Medium and you can find uh, his work at judedoyle.medium.com. And you might remember that Jude was on the show about a year ago to talk about Substack. And uh, because we live in the capitalist <laughs> hellscape that is uh, America, that has not changed. Um, and we're, we're probably gonna be talking about that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, they, yeah. Substacks reared its head again. Expanded into killing people in like some innovative new ways. Yeah. You know? so. Um. So why don't you talk about sort of how they sort of jumped back into the news cycle for us uh, again just recently? Right. Well, Substack has at this point what seems like a pretty firm ideological commitment to just not moderating their content in any way whatsoever. And battles over content moderation are pretty routine for platforms. You know, this was Twitter's thing for 10 years that they were the free speech wing of the free speech party. People have been lobbying, you know, Reddit to get those upskirt forums taken down or whatever. People have been willing, you know, People have been basically asking the internet to take down terrible, harmful shit since there's been an internet. But Substack, sort of after being very, very heavily criticized for building up this whole network of extremely lucrative, extremely turfy newsletters, mm-hmm. has now, you know, created their brand, which is Substack, the place where you can't be censored. And do you know who uses the place where you can't be censored is the people that... The, kind of need to be censored. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, they're, they're, they were called out by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, I believe it was, mm-hmm. for hosting like these anti-vax newsletters and these uh, coronavirus disinfo conspiracy theory newsletters that were generating, you know, I think in the words of the report, at least 
2.5 million a year. Alex Berenson is one of them. We've known about that for a while because like Wired reported that not only was Alex Berenson on there, he was somehow being hidden from the leaderboard. And there's an amazing quote from the CEO, Chris Best, where he was like, Chris Best said that Berenson was not being hidden. It was the result of a technical glitch, although he couldn't say what the glitch was or when it was identified or when it would be fixed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing that I'm guessing that they just hit him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, not, this is like amazing. This is like your kid is like hiding the cookie behind their back because <laughs> you caught them stealing it. Like they're not that good at covering up their failures as a as a collective. But um so, you know, they sent out their comms VP to write a really long tweet storm about, like, well, you know what? We just don't believe in censoring people. We believe in seeing people that we disagree with. Mm -hmm. A Substack writer is a writer who can tolerate disagreement. For example, we don't really know if science works. What if the anti-vaxxers are right and we're all wrong? What if we silenced everyone who's ever been wrong about anything? What would we do? This might not be safe, but neither for that matter is the sea, (laughs) which is a terrific. That quote was wild to me. Like, what is that doing in corporate communications? I know. It's like, like, and it came right after a Harry Potter reference. It was like there was a Harry Potter reference. (laughs) Of course, there was. Yeah, it should be noted too that. (laughs) It should be noted that that communications person is married to somebody who works at the Heritage Foundation. Oh my! Yeah, of yeah. Um, I don't have her name offhand in my notes. I apologize, but uh, yeah. Lily Chen will serve, I believe. Yeah, if you look in her Twitter profile, it like links to her husband's Twitter and its Heritage Foundation. So it's like, oh, I wonder where all of this is coming from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the other irony of it too is like. Two hours later, she was like, "No, we don't. We don't allow like sex workers on our platform or like uh, things that we consider pornography." And it's like, "Oh, so you do censor some things?" Yeah. Like it's it's the typical you know Substack pose, which is that like they are taking this extremely ideological and I would say explicitly right-wing stance at this point like Chris Best is out like having chats with Megan Kelly and the parlor CEO you know against cancel culture but the reality is if they think they're going to get hit by FOSTA SESTA they're not going to allow boobs on their platform mm-hmm. right like it's, it's strictly about limiting their liability they are 100% going to censor any content that gets in the way of the bottom line but they have figured out what Alex Jones figured out what, you know, Joe Rogan figured out what a whole bunch of grifters have figured out, which is that people will pay to have their hate reinforced. Mm -hmm. People will pay to just enter a cocoon or, you know, a rabbit hole of information that feeds their specific hatred of specific marginalized groups. There's no reason to shut down the transphobia as long as people will pay for it mm-hmm. and what you know stands out to me is that now there's also no reason to shut down the covid denialism mm-hmm. if people will pay for it you know like that's the thing if you have decided that it's okay for your platform to be the fucking cornballer where people are getting hurt or even killed by what's happening there mm-hmm. you know like there's 
the the brute reality of capitalism, the brute reality of anything for the buck, as long as you're not strictly legally liable, you know, that's that's eventually going to expand. That is going to ex- expand, and it's going to cause more casualties than just trans people. Yeah, I mean, there are blogs that are devoted to doxing trans people, just random trans people, not even public figures. Like, I've been doxed. I've talked about it on the show before. Like, it's a thing that I'm kind of used to at this point. But, like, Graham Linehan's out here, like, posting dating profiles of just random trans women who never consented to being the center of attention of of a hate group and he makes god knows how much money on substack and and this is the same damn issue that we talked to you about a year ago and i don't understand what this contributes to you know liberal discourse or whatever bullshit defense substack wants to come in with right i mean it doesn't because it eventually makes it very very hard for anyone who isn't just an extremely angry transphobe to participate, to be on those platforms, you know, Substack is actively weaponized. There are trans people being, you know, like forced signed up to really shitty emails without <clears throat> consent. There are, you know, people bombarding the comment sections. All of that stuff that makes platforms unsafe for marginalized people is happening there. What stands out to me mm-hmm. is that this sort of, I don't know ideological defense of like, we refuse to moderate our content. Um, really, it, it does not coalesce with their other thing, which is that they're saving media from the unseriousness of Twitter and the appeal of the pylon and the quick hot take, like what the fuck do you think Glenn Greenwald has ever written in his life? <laughs> Most like maybe 2016. He's never written anything but a cheap inflammatory hot take. That's who he is. Yeah. That's what he does. He's the angry Twitter man. It's, you know? It's funny how often his name has come up just tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're this is this is the meeting where we cancel Glenn Greenwald. I'm sorry, Glenn. You knew this day would come. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, well, we're definitely we, getting we angry twits. <laughs> um, dude, I have a question for you. This is kind of one of the the bigger questions that I deal with, and I'm wondering if you have any guidance or strong opinions that you would like to share. Is that like, um, so so you know, taking out like the the funding aspect of it, right? The way that a lot of these platforms are funding transphobia and other kinds of hate. But if we're talking about just like what what um how to kind of deal like how should corporations and kind of these like what is the ideal like how do they deal with these kinds of things because one of the things that we see is we you know we see on twitter and instagram and a lot of these other platforms that that sex workers and trans people are often the first people uh, censored right Mm -hmm. and then eventually if there's enough you know outrage you know president Trump's Twitter might be pulled down and they might start to get rid of some of the biggest white supremacists, even though there are a bunch of other folks still doing that stuff. And so I'm wondering, like, what what do you think? I don't know. What 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 do we do about that? Because when calling for censorship of censorship, we're, we're talking about getting rid of hate speech. Right. right. So often the the corporations will use that to also 
um, censor folks on the left. We saw with Facebook, they had they were like, oh, well, we've got to make it equitable. And so even though really right wing folks should be more censored, we're, we're also censoring like, you know, and so like, what what are your thoughts on that? No. And I mean, this is a conversation that's been going on for a long, long time, like since the 80s and 90s, when like Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon were pushing these you know, intended to be feminist pornography ordinances, but when you push that, the first thing that happens is that the lesbian magazines get banned, right? That these things that are intended to control speech in positive ways wind up being used and manipulated pretty much exclusively to shut down marginalized people's speech because we're the ones who get surveilled and categorized dangerous and, you know, straight, cis, white guys can pretty much do whatever they want. Um, That is a valid distinction that if you put up, you know, like a little filter on Twitter that says that you like can't say fuck, you know, that's that's not going to actually intelligently remove the Nazis from the discussion. They've got like their whole little slogan where they don't have to say fuck Joe Biden. They've figured out how to fool your algorithm, you know, like but like that said, I think we also are coming to an understanding that these tools are not, and by these tools, I mean the internet, I mean media platforms. They reach into our bodies, they affect our lives, and violence that happens, there is real violence. It is happening in the real world. Like if you think about, you know, the Reddit upskirt forums that had to be taken down, that's not, you know, if you are taking non-consensual, you know, nude images of somebody and posting them online, that's not free speech. You're not speaking. You are, in a sense, in a very real way, sexually assaulting that person, you know? And I think that we can make a distinction between what is merely, I don't know, repugnant to us or what is merely offensive to us. I'm not necessarily a fan of Game of Thrones, but I'm not out there, you know, just like George R.R. R. Martin, you must be canceled. Put you in the dungeon. <laughs> remove this, remove this piece of art from existence, sir. You know, but when somebody is actively misleading the public or actively inciting violence in a way that we know is going to get someone hurt, we understand by now, because we've all lived in a universe with Kiwi Farms for long enough that the un- the internet makes a sport of dogpiling trans people, often specifically trans women, and the goal in many cases is to make those people commit suicide. That is that is not free speech, that is violence. Spreading disinformation and lies about trans healthcare, the ROGD bullshit, mm-hmm. or you know, claiming that you have a map of every clinic in the country that is transing the kids, you know, or saying that Planned Parenthood sells baby parts for that matter. These are all connected. Saying that Planned Parenthood sells baby parts, you shouldn't get paid several million dollars a year to do that because sooner or later, a guy with a gun is going to go into a clinic and shoot some people. Which has happened many times. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we can make a clear distinction between offensive speech, rowdy discussion, people saying, you know, dirty words or posting pictures of boobs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And stochastic violence or disinformation that is likely to cause real world harm, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I don't know, if I knew how to do this perfectly, 
I would be, you know, I'd be on a yacht with Jack Dorsey. He'd be telling me about his cleanse. We'd be, you know, like just hanging out. I would, I would be a very powerful man if I knew exactly how to do this. But I do think that like an intelligent person can make a distinction between I disagree with this and this person literally just sits on the internet all day looking for trans women yeah. that he can expose to harassment and violence. It's really awful. And um, I think we have time for yeah, we have one question audience question. The... Oh, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. So, did I just... It's okay. Do you think that other platforms will spring up to do something similar to what Substack has? Or perhaps uh, do you have any predictions uh, on any existing platforms that are going to make a similar turn? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is what's really like queasy making to me is when you read like an article in Politico and it's like, it seems that there's a market need for these contrarian opinions. Like media is a losing game. It's mm -hmm. real hard to make a living. And this particular newsletter platform, for whatever reason, advertised itself as like, this is the gold mine. Mm -hmm. Get in now while the getting's good and you can be rich and you can make a million dollars off of blog posts and Whatever. it's. I doubt it's sustainable in the long term. Yeah. But people, the the almighty dollar is, is having a really major influence on this conversation where I think a lot of people are unwilling to back away from Substack because they think it might get rich. And they're unwilling to back away from these really hateful sort of gender critical voices because, you know, they think, well, if Glenn Greenwald is what makes money, then shouldn't I be more like Glenn Greenwald? Like capitalism yeah. is at a very very bad effect <laughs> on yeah. on people's ability to you know see straight here yeah but um i think that that this is going to be a problem that is endemic to all platforms mm -hmm. for quite a while we are just sort of living in a universe where people are increasingly losing their own reality and only listening to those voices which give them the facts that they want to be true mm -hmm. With Substack, because there's just like a big payout attached to it, because there's the financial incentive, it's gotten particularly bad. But I think, you know, this is, this is again, a problem that's going to extend far beyond just this one yeah. sort of dopey newsletter platform. Jude, uh, we always appreciate your time. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I hope I wasn't just like... No, you were really great. Really no, we, we love having you on. <laughs> Always a delight. Can't wait to see you again, Jude. Thank you so, so much for coming. Oh, yeah. It's been a pleasure. See ya. <laughs> see ya. And uh, to the audience, we're going to take another short break. We're back. Hello. We are so excited to have Sarah Luderman back on the show. They were one of our very, very first guests. And so it's such a treat. Um, if you're not familiar with Sarah, they're the caregiving reporter at the 19th, which is a nonprofit newsroom focused on gender issues. Um, Sarah is a brilliant reporter and a must follow for disability justice issues. You can follow um, her on at Sluterman on Twitter. That's S-L-O-O-T-E-R-M-A-N. Um, and like I mentioned, one of our first guests on the show, uh, we talked about the train wreck that was CS film debut about uh, film debut music and how it harms autistic people. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us again. 
I'm excited to be here. It's my first live stream, so I'm going to be like real awkward. It's really, <laughs> really awkward. I got to tell oh, you, this is our first live stream and it is already awkward, so don't even worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> how, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> I owe you like a lunch or something, I think. <laughs> No, I think I, I think I owe you a lunch. Is that it last time? It was. It's been like two years because of the pandemic. I know. So. I've <laughs> been so socially like uh, checked out that I just people ask me to do things and I'm like, yeah, sure. And then it just never happens. So I apologize for that. But um, so the last time you were on, we talked about Sia, and I think she was in the news again. Did you catch that? Yeah, I did. What uh, What were your thoughts on that? So, I I guess um, I guess like to get serious for a little bit yes. and like like content warning like I'm gonna talk about like some mental health stuff and suicide so it's gonna be less fun for the next three minutes probably like just go get a drink or something if you don't want to talk about this stuff um so uh, I guess she had some like significant mental health problems and like mm -hmm. went back to rehab and had a suicide attempt. Uh, according to her, that she told media about after music flopped, mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, so I mean, like, I feel bad about that. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I've had some. I mean, I've, I've I'm pretty public about the fact that I've had some significant mental health issues too. So, like, mm -hmm. I, I feel a lot of empathy for her, and like, I don't, um, like, I don't want anybody to experience those things. But also, the movie still sucks. <laughs> um, yeah that's fair uh, and actually my friend eric garcia who's uh mm -hmm. also autistic and um one is of my a reporter favorite. at the independent yeah one of my uh, favorite twitter follows he got into like a weird slap fight with kathy griffin about it on twitter wait i missed that <laughs> oh man it, I, it, was, it was like yeah, so I guess, like, Kathy Griffin, he was talking about how much he didn't like the movie, and Kathy Griffin responded. Um, it, yeah, which was, like, not, I don't think anyone expected that. Um, and uh, Kathy Griffin really liked music, apparently. Um, well, let's see. Kathy Griffin, uh, she signal-boosted, uh, like, my surgery fundraiser, actually, back in the day. <laughs> The thing is, I actually really like her. Like, I think yeah. that, like, I, like her and Anderson Cooper were the best New Year's Eve show. Like, I'm kind of, like, I, like, and she's also probably one of the few people who actually for real got canceled. Like, where she did something and then her mm -hmm. career took, like, a really huge, huge dive. I think it's just, like, her and Colin Kaepernick are, like, the only people who have ever for, really for real That's been canceled. That's true. That's very so, true. Like, so, like, I mean, like, I... I like her. I just do not agree with her about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Um, and I think, uh, Oliver, you had something that you wanted to ask Sarah, right? Um, I had a couple things I wanted to ask Sarah. Um, but are we... Um, did y'all touch base about the COVID stuff? Was that, was that a yes? Or no, because I have something else that's lighter we can talk about. Oh, I can talk about COVID stuff. I don't remember talking about that in advance, but also I have a memory made of cheese. So <laughs> I think we're good to go with some of the COVID stuff. Okay, cool, cool. We can always transition yeah, I mean, if it's if it's not working. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that I, um, I've i been thinking about and I've been seeing a lot of, and this has kind of been an ongoing thing, um, but especially with, you know, we've had these phases around COVID of things like opening up a little bit, but then, you know, folks are going around without masks. Folks are, um, the, the state isn't kind of encouraging uh, folks, like, and making sure that folks have what they need to stay safe and stay home. And I'm wondering about how, like, government um, policy and kind of the way we're moving through this is keeping disabled folks um, who are high risk out of public life and kind of what, yeah, um, I was wondering if you were open to kind of talking a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So um, there's kind of, I actually wrote a piece recently about kids specifically Mm -hmm. um, that sort of explores the complexity of this because I think that people think of it like, like in a very binary way where like either you know, if you don't wear a mask, then you hate disabled people, or if you want to do whatever, like, it doesn't, but the thing is, like, there's actually a lot of what we call competing access needs, so, like, the idea behind a competing access need is that some people with some kinds of disabilities need some things, and that actually might conflict with what other people with disabilities need, so, like, for people who are immunocompromised, like, they really need everybody to wear a mask, but then, um, I wrote a piece for Slate before I started working at the 19th about folks who actually can't wear masks because they have, um, there was one man I spoke with who, uh, he's got cerebral palsy and he just drools a lot. So the mask just gets wet really quickly and it's like not, like he can't really do it. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's like a situation where like, there are some people who really need everybody to wear a mask. And then there's some people who actually for real can't wear a mask and not for like weird whiner reasons because Mm -hmm. they think it's going to give them brain poisoning or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, so like there's a lot of stuff like that that's like really complicated. Um, the piece I wrote recently was about school closings, where like there's some kids who like they need everything to be 100% remote, like they can't be around other kids right now because it's too dangerous. But then on the other hand, there are kids, you know, who are using special education services who need like hands-on one-in-one instruction from a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then there's kids who are both. So it's just like, it's just a mess. Like there's just yeah. not... Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of clear guidance. A lot of the policy doesn't seem like it's designed with like people with disabilities in mind. Everybody talks about like wanting to protect the most vulnerable, but like structurally the stuff to actually do that isn't happening. Yeah. Um, I was talking to um, my oldest daughter who's in middle school and um, we have a phone call every Sunday where we talk for like two hours and it's literally my favorite time of the week. But last week she was saying like, you know, I asked, well, what are you looking forward to at school this week? And she goes, seeing my friends. And I was thinking, oh, like, she misses them from the weekend. No, it turns out that her friends had, like, all of her friends had missed the week before because of COVID. Yeah. And it's like, this is such a mess. And, yeah. I like, I'm sitting here as a parent, like, really thankful that my daughter hasn't caught COVID yet. But I'm almost looking at it as a when, not if scenario. And, like, my daughter's not even special needs either. So it's like, uh, like, I don't know how to handle this as a parent. (laughs) If that makes sense. I don't think anybody, no, nobody does. Everything is just completely bananas right now. And the government is not doing enough to like actually deal with things, which is really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, uh, what could they be doing better? 
Uh, well, I mean, I'm not a public health expert. Mm -hmm. I know from speaking with different disability advocates, um, I know a lot of people would really like there to be vaccine mandates. That's very politically unpopular for an assortment of reasons. Um, I know a lot of people would like there to be some kind of federal mask mandate. That's also probably not going to happen for a bunch of political reasons. Um, mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of folks that would like... Uh, you know, like, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of things that need to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some of those things are in contrast, like requiring that everybody wears a mask when they go into a grocery store means that someone with an intellectual disability who can't wear a mask can't go to the grocery store. Mm. Um, and so, and for some of those folks, like, that's like the only, uh, that's like, you know, that's like their social interaction that they have. And so without that, they're really like missing out on life. Yeah. It's really depressing. <laughs> so, so to if we want to bring it up a little bit, I know that you want to um, you want to cancel Elf, <laughs> which is oh, my no. favorite Christmas movie. So please explain your stance. Oh my god, <laughs> we're having our first fight. <laughs> okay, I, I guess so. For people that were present for this because they're not logged onto the internet at all times um <laughs> over christmas i saw elf for the first time and um there were just a lot of like jokes about buddy being a special mm. needs elf that i just really didn't enjoy uh and i tweeted yeah. that and then what followed was like several days of men who were very upset that i wanted to like cancel elf <laughs> it's like they're like you hate christmas and i'm like <laughs> No, I just don't think this one thing is very funny. Please, please stop yelling at me. <laughs> um, oh my god. Although, I, I, I don't know, it was my Christmas break, and, like, I was, um, I was staying at a beach house at the time, and, like, I don't know, it was just, it was just very funny, honestly, mm -hmm. like, in retrospect. Like, I, my fiancé, my fiancé, my fiancé asked me, like, hey, is that, like, stressing you out? And I'm like, no, it's just hilarious. Which, like, internet pylons aren't always like that, but just, like, everybody was just so ridiculous about it that sometimes all you can do is laugh. Like, Oliver, you like Elf, that's fine. <laughs> you're, like, you're digging something right. I like, think the criticisms that you have of Elf, they're ones that I agree with. Like, like it's, there, there are problems with the movie. <laughs> also, you can, like, like things and also criticize them, but I guess oh some gosh. people don't have space for that in their brains. What? concept what a concept sarah you know what yeah you know what there is a third way and that's the oh. way that i've chosen and that is to never watch elf that is what is one way to do it um <laughs> i'm just not a huge will ferrell fan honestly so i just I'm not either i i really don't like him that movie's great it, for for the most part, there are a lot of problems with it, but it's an enjoyable movie. But I don't think Will Ferrell's good either. I think my he's terrible. My future mother-in-law wanted to watch it together, and I was just like, all right, let's do it. Like, I don't know. Usually we watch him up at Christmas Carol, which I like a lot more. Uh, no offense to Will Ferrell. Oh, gosh. Okay. But, um, Whole yeah. to Will Ferrell. I mean... <laughs> Even if I did like Elf, it's hard to compete with the Muppets, you know? Like, that's that's just, like, that's not even a fair fight. I'm loving the Christmas uh, movie discourse in February. This is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, the best part is the best part is I'm Jewish, so uh, like I never even celebrated <laughs> Christmas until I started dating someone who did. So fun fact: <laughs> I don't decorate my apartment for Christmas because I knew I wasn't going to have people over this year, right? But my mom, I don't know if she's still watching, she sent me a Christmas gift this year, and it was two Santa uh, figurines. And I opened them on Christmas Day, and then I haven't put them away. So they are here. So cute! (laughs) And for a while, they were in the background over here, and I was like, you know what? I should take these down for the live stream, but... (laughs) And then for everyone who is listening to the show after the live stream on the podcast theme, Caitlin just held up two two Santa Claus figurines. Um, her thing is like collecting Santa figures, and we love her for it. Oh, that's really cute. Oh, I think it's cute. <laughs> Sarah, I'm wondering, like, what um, as you have been doing the work that you are doing, how cancel culture um, has kind of intersected with it besides the ways that we've talked about. I'm kind of curious. I feel like it's permeating like all of these different parts of society and we're thinking about it in different ways. Um, and I would just love any thoughts or about that. Well, so like, I mean, a lot of the stuff I write about is very heavy. I mean, so like I write a lot about of the ways that the government is failing people with disabilities in our families. I write a lot about sort of like the societal problems that lead to these kinds of breakdowns, like the systemic issues. And so like, I guess like for me, like part of why I like listening to the podcast is just because I feel like a lot of these conversations about cancel culture are just so goofy. And like, like, Mm -hmm. so I don't know, sometimes it's kind of like a, like, I'm not going to say it's a fun distraction because oftentimes it's part of this like ridiculous culture war that's like actually quite insidious. But like, yeah, I don't know. It just like feels like Tucker Carlson getting upset because the green M&M isn't sexy enough. is just very goofy. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, I mean, like I'm writing about I'm writing about like, you know, a kid who's deaf and blind and hasn't been able to use remote schooling. And Tucker Carlson's talking about how he doesn't want to have sex with the green M&M anymore. Like, I, Yeah, I I think it's a larger sort of, uh, I've written about this for the New Republic before, but um, it's part of this larger issue where Republicans are just like, no, we're not going to govern anymore. We're just going to lean into culture war bullshit. And this is one of their areas that they are leaning into, along with, you know, banning books and making life harder for trans athletes. Yeah, all of that stuff. Um, So like, it's like, I have experience also as a policy reporter, so I totally get where you're coming from. It's like, are these people even on the same planet as the rest of us? No, like, I just, I just, I don't care about whether the green M&M is hot. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't care. Sorry, do I like, need my sexy candy? <laughs> so, Sarah, this conversation, of course, is much too short, but we loved having you on, and thank you. And I do think, going back to something that Oliver said earlier, I think you were our first guest on the show. Possibly? I might yeah, have been. I think so. Correct. So it's, it's great to bring it full circle, and we definitely appreciate you. Well, I love the podcast, and I'm just really excited that it's like kept on keeping on for a whole year. So it's yeah, exciting. We're excited, and we might uh, do live streams again in the future. Who knows? Happy. <laughs> Cancelversary. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, we are going to take a short break, and we will be back with Emily St. James. Hey everyone, we are back with Emily St. James. You might know her by her former name, Emily Vanderwerf. She is a critic for Vox.com and writes so many smart thoughts and analysis and just uh, Emily's cultural analysis is so on point. Um, she's also the co-creator of the Arden podcast, which is a delightful and weird fictional true crime podcast that you should definitely be listening to. Um, we had her on earlier this year to talk about the heartbreaking story of Isabel Fall and the way that the knee-jerk reactions to her short story, Attack Hel Helicopter, pushed a vulnerable trans woman starting to explore her gender back into the closet. Emily, thank you so much for joining us again. And it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Um, you know, uh, it was it was I, the, my appearance on your show is one of the few podcasts I've ever listened to myself on. I hate my voice, but I listened <laughs> to that show because I was like, I was really smart. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, personally, it was. I mean, all of my all of the episodes are my favorite, but uh, that one was right near the top of all of our favorite episodes. Yeah. Um, and this is like a pattern that we have seen play out. I mean, maybe not to the same degree as the Isabel Fall situation, but it seems like every other day there's another trans woman who has run afoul of the internet police. And I was mm -hmm. one of those people at one point <laughs> mm -hmm. um, not too long ago, which our last episode uh, that we released was about. Um, but yeah, like... Why does this happen? <laughs> I actually, um, there's a really amazing article that literally came out today um, mm -hmm. by uh, uh, Catherine, Catherine Cross, I think is mm -hmm. her name. Yeah. Um, and uh, she uh, did some academic research um, into, um, you know, why this stuff happens. And it's literally just like, Anytime you talk about one of these discourse things on Twitter or other social media platforms, you are like creating harassment. Even if you're like, I disagree. Even if you think you're stepping in to defend, even if you're subtweeting, you are creating more harassment because you're making the circle of it go wider. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so all I can talk about on Twitter is what I had for lunch. We've come full circle mm -hmm. is what it is. I'm just, it's just for talking about what you had for lunch. Yeah. Um, I just, I can't get over that it happens over and over and over again. And we just yeah. Yeah. don't, we never seem to stop <laughs> ever. I mean, I, like it, it does seem to happen disproportionately to trans feminine people. It does seem to happen disproportionately to people of color. It does seem, you know, it mm -hmm. like it certainly when we talk about cancel culture air quotes um it, you know we we are we tend to be talking about um people who have a lot of power who are being uh yelled at by mm -hmm. people who are criticizing them and um you know i i think that one of the things i i am i don't want to say i regret but one of the things that i think is is interesting about the fallout of the isabel fall article is I still have all my like columns that I set up in TweetDeck when I was researching that article. Mm -hmm. So I'm still seeing people talk about Isabel Fall. And she has just very quickly become, this is an example of cancel culture, run amok. And like nobody's tried to learn the larger lessons of it. 
whether you want to say those larger lessons are about the ways that trans misogyny operates or, you know, the ways that social media opt is optimized to create anger and hatred, um, both of which I think are totally valid things to take from that article or from her situation. It has just become, well, you can't say cancellation doesn't exist because look at Isabel Fall. And I'm like, Isabel Fall has a lot of weird uh, feelings about being associated with cancel culture and yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know. We we have this we have this need as humans to boil everything down to a simple phrase and I guess this is the one we've settled on. Yeah. I'm kind of curious um like your 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 job obviously as a critic is very like mm -hmm. pay attention to what's happening in Hollywood and what what not and the movies mm -hmm. obviously. Um so I'd love to hear sort of your your grander thoughts on cancel culture, specifically how it relates to to Hollywood, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which I know is, is a departure from where we just were. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, like, how do you see this all playing out sort of within the, the film and television industry? I don't, I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, certainly there are, there are people who can't get work um because they have said things that are controversial um gina carano is an example of somebody who said a thing that was right-wing and controversial but like she was saying an anti-semitism and she was like saying directly transphobic things mm -hmm. and like she was like way way over the line roseanne is another example of someone who said something that was racist and you know was literally can't get work now mm -hmm. but you look at someone like tim allen who has been like pretty open about his support of Trump, pretty open about, you know, yeah. why can't I say the N-word, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he has literally said that in interviews. And, like, he still gets plenty of work, you know? He's still Buzz Lightyear. He, they're doing mm -hmm. a Santa Claus show with him. Um, he's uh, just wrapped his nine-season-long sitcom. Like, cancel culture exists unless you're making money and if you're making money then you can kind of do whatever you want tim allen is hmm. an extremely successful person in hollywood yeah. therefore he can just keep kind of doing what he wants and i think he's better at walking the line than like roseanne or gina carano were but you know gina carano was never at his level of fame roseanne was someone who had become kind of a a, a, a brick around the ankle of her tv show mm -hmm. so like they're they're you know I, I don't want to sit here and say nobody has ever been canceled ever because you can point to examples of it. But then you can look at like someone like Ed Asner, who in the 80s mm -hmm. was very um, open and vocal about his support of leftist causes and basically had his career tanked for like two decades because of that. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, I, I think it is. I think there is this weird um, belief because uh, nominally left people control a lot of the cultural mechanisms of America, by which I mean most of the people who make movies and TV shows are, are nominally liberal in some sense. Mm -hmm. There is this sense that like the left has a lot of power, but you know, you look at who's actually doing the canceling and it's usually right wing people. And I realize that like, that's the point of your show, but um <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I've been looking at this, this Joe Rogan thing mm -hmm. with great like interest and how that quickly that's been turned into a canceling and like, 
I feel like the, the, the word is now just being used to apply to absolutely anything that happens. <laughs> like, I, like, we could be like, okay, so um, I'm going to say, you know, I disagree with some of the things Joe Biden done, does. And, like, now people are like, well, Emily canceled Joe Biden. Good for her. She did it. <laughs> Wait a second. If that's only. my job. <laughs> and like, I, I don't know. It just it's it's it is a it has ceased to have meaning, mm -hmm. you know, as I cover how the industry talks about this stuff. It's all just ceased to mean anything beyond like trying to get people to, to feel sorry for you and to feel like you have said something brave and bold. But like usually the things that people are being canceled for are not that brave to say, you know? Yeah. Like, like supposedly, so the reason that, that Joe Rogan has come under fire has nothing to do with the times he's had, you know, people on to say that trans people are satanic ritual abuse, which is true, <laughs> by the way. We are. Um, um, it's like, you know, it's somebody who was spreading vaccine misinformation. And like, it's not brave to lie. Like you're not like standing up to some bold like yeah. thing. You are saying a thing that makes people more comfortable because they feel like they don't have to be part of a society. Like 90% of the cancel culture things that, that raise to that level are just people who don't want to have to care about other people. Mm -hmm. And then they say, you shouldn't have to get the vaccine. You shouldn't have to say a trans person's pronouns. It's a minor inconvenience for you. And you saying that is brave. Actually, it's not, yeah. It's not fucking brave. It's just like inconsiderate. Emily, one thing that I've been thinking about, especially like after, so I've kind of been doing a lot of like healing work in myself and I've recognized that like Twitter just like triggers a lot of trauma responses. Like I just feel like Twitter is literally just exists to like trigger you and upset you. Um, and, and kind of like, I've been thinking about that. Um, and I'm wondering, like, I don't know, I, this feels like a revelation to me, but I'm sure that other people have been saying this for years. <laughs> um, and I'm just kind of like wondering about, um, your, your thoughts on some of that. Everyone should get off Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Everyone should get off Twitter. I, everyone should get off social media platforms in general. The more I, this is more and more becoming a thing that I write about. Uh -huh. And it just, it, they don't do anything for the world at all. You know, um, the, the, I, I sort of used to think that going on Twitter, I was exposed to points of view that I'm not normally exposed to, which is still nominally true. Mm -hmm. I go on Twitter. <coughs> I go on Twitter and I, you know, follow um, people who are uh, in, in the, who um, are, you know, uh, neurodiverse or, you know, people of color or et cetera, various communities that I'm not a part of. And then I can sort of get a window into through Twitter. But because Twitter turns the volume on everything all the way up, you know, uh, it is increasingly a place where everyone is just kind of yelling past each other. And it has become this like... Mm it's not an echo chamber like 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 people would have it be it is a um um what's the what's the name of the 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 thing it's it's a large hadron collider like people are sending <laughs> what a their metaphor. thoughts 
people are sending their thoughts into this thing and they're going faster and faster and faster and they're getting louder and louder and louder and then they collide and they explode and you never know when you're going to collide you never know when you're going to blow up you never know when this thing is going to happen mm -hmm. and then you accidentally might end the universe like that's a thing that could happen <laughs> like you just might create a black hole and <laughs> and like I do think there I do think there's some value to me, you know, being exposed to um, disability rights advocates who are talking a lot in this era of COVID about people who are immunocompromised and things mm -hmm. like that. Like, I think there's value to me hearing that. I don't know if there is as much value as there used to be, because the whole thing has just become so optimized for people screaming that you don't hear anything helpful. And like. I have cut back on Twitter so much since I reported that article and even mm -hmm. more as I've worked on some other stuff that hasn't, hasn't published yet. Um, like I only am logged in on one device. It's the one I'm talking to you right now. So I can go and just like read you my feed if you want. Like if we want to do that to just close this out, I'll just read you what people are tweeting about. Um, but yeah, I don't have it on my phone. I don't have it on my computer. I do uh, most of my writing on. I only have it here and it's on my work computer where yeah. I'm ostensibly not supposed to be that paying that much attention to it. And the thing is I tweet so much less. Like I looked at my yeah. stats, they've dropped off dramatically, but my followers have just been going up and up and up. So the secret to getting good at Twitter is to never tweet. Wow. Where do we go from there? Uh, we have a listener question. Um, Jess is asking um, that it's really hard to balance the idea of this thing shouldn't exist and this thing exists and has become fairly necessary for personal existence, mm -hmm. right? Like I think that a lot of writers and journalists have to have a Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. um, to kind of, and so how do, you, how do you balance the two? And like, you know, what about other things that other ways that that applies to your life like you're engaging in things that you're like this shouldn't exist but it does and i have to use it well i feel like most things in life shouldn't exist but they do and we have to use them so i agree just, with you it's just uh it is just a in that like like should gender exist let's actually talk about that for a while <laughs> there are things about it that i like there are things about it that i don't hmm. <laughs> um, I, I do think like, yeah, I mean, I'm still on Twitter because it is useful for me promoting my work at Vox, for me promoting my, my newsletter, for me promoting Arden, for me promoting the many, many things I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I have come to realize that as I move more into um, other forms of writing, whether that's, you know, um, fictional writing or, you know, a longer form essay type things. Twitter is kind of necessary to promote myself mm -hmm. in a way that like other social media platforms just aren't. And I really have wrestled with that. There was a time when I was like, I should just delete my Twitter. And then I was like, eh, but I need like, I need people to read me. I have mm -hmm. 80,000 some followers. Like that is a huge platform. Um, I'm in the process of just starting to try to, to sell a novel and like a big, a big thing that is working in my favor in terms of selling a novel is I have 80,000 plus Twitter followers yeah. and the publishers look at that and they're like, well, there's promotion right there. And like, I'd rather not be on Twitter. I think, I think the chances of stepping on a landmine right now are too great. 
but also I get it. You know, I, I get, I get if I'm a publisher and I'm thinking about taking a first novel from some random trans lady, I mean, I'm not just some random trans lady. I'm the random trans lady. <laughs> uh, but like, like, uh, it, like, I think that, you know, I, I, her having 80,000 Twitter followers is like a get, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I have my Instagram open to the public and I get so many harassing comments there. Mm. And I'm just like, I should close this down. But then I'm like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I can promote myself here. Yeah. I mm -hmm. am just a, just a sponge to be whatever. So... That reminds me of the Cancel Me Daddy Facebook page, which I started and literally never put content on. <laughs> and somehow we get followers on it. <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I had a podcast that my wife and I did from uh, 2009 to 2015, very sporadically. Mm -hmm. And our Facebook page for that is still up and people still follow it. And I'm like, why are you like, you cannot... <laughs> You cannot access those episodes. We took them off the internet. Oh my god! You can't get them, and yet, that's so weird. Yeah. Um, Emily, I mean, I feel like we could talk to you all night, but unfortunately, <laughs> we only have so much Let's time in it. this format. Let's do it. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Let's do <laughs> it. I want more listener questions. Come on. Uh, but I feel like I didn't actually answer that, and like I think. I think the actual answer to it is you have to like come up with your own lines. And for me, the line is I try not to weigh in on the discourse unless it's like yesterday, Rudy Giuliani on the masked singer was like a thing that I was like, I feel like I can weigh in on this. This is a narrow <laughs> thing that I can weigh in on, but yeah. I'm just going to make a stupid joke. And that was what I did. And like that, that I feel like using Twitter for making weird jokes is still like kind of safe but you know they're gonna come for our jokes next those uh, cancel culture people i i wish that i could could learn from you emily and not get sucked into the discourse it's just it's like catnip for me it's catnip I, yesterday and i i did i feel bad about this because i did kind of tweet about it in in a sort of oblong way yesterday the discourse on trans femme twitter was about drag um and there's a number of people trans feminine people who are you know they have touchy feelings about drag because um a very common thing that happens is you come out as a trans woman and people are like oh like rupaul's drag race because rupaul's drag race is this cultural object that people are aware of and then you have to be like no 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 and that it makes it easy to start to resent drag and like but drag has this rich history in the queer community and spaces where gender performance is safe are really important for trans people discovering themselves etc 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 and like i don't know i feel like who who resolved anything from talking about that on twitter who didn't just dig in deeper on the position they already held? Yeah. The number of things I have come to think about in a more nuanced fashion because of Twitter is like like maybe three. And and that's over the really? years. And like, I mean, I, I think there is a broader thing of I have learned to like look at other people's perspectives mm -hmm. on the world. I think that Twitter is occasionally good for that. But I think the internet in general is good for that. And, like, that is a thing we should be striving to get back toward. I think 
if I uh, um, this feels like a total swerve, but um, there's there's this <laughs> thing that, that. <laughs> there's this thing that stream that streaming sites do that's like you know it's it's February so it's Black History Month so I'm sure if I turned on HBO Max they would have a section called like learn more about Black Lives in America or something mm-hmm. and it would be like a bunch of Spike Lee movies and then like. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Lovecraft country and like various things they have in their catalog that are made by black filmmakers and showrunners. Mm -hmm. And like the thing that um, I I wrote a story about this for Vox uh, last year and about how frequently we treat reading the right books, watching the right movies, listening to the right podcasts, whatever, as a proxy for actually getting informed about how other people live their lives and I don't actually think that's true. I don't think that anybody is really going to learn what it's like to live my life from, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a non-terrible depiction of trans women and blanking. Um, but, um, uh, oh, gosh. From watching, from watching <laughs> an, you know, from watching an Isabel Sandoval movie, from the perspective of, I'm going to learn what it's like to be trans. You should watch <laughs> an Isabel Sandoval movie because she's a great filmmaker and you <laughs> want to watch great filmmakers um i talked to the the critic angelica jade bastion um who's terrific she writes at vulture uh, a vox sister site and she was like if you want to learn about you know um um if you want to watch more black filmmakers if you watch more women filmmakers if you want to watch more queer filmmakers and you're a horror fan why not just watch a broader slate of horror movies why not come at this from the perspective of i'm going to sit down and watch these filmmakers why not come at it from the perspective of i am a fan of this genre and i'm just going to watch more stuff i'm going to watch stuff from other countries whatever that is how i think increasingly about being exposed to other people's experiences online like it is less a question of if you go onto a social media site with the specific goal of i'm going to learn what it's like to be this kind of person you can't do that. It just doesn't work. Yeah, if you no. go onto a if you go onto a site or if you go into a Discord, I increasingly like like Discords and Slacks. Mm-hmm. If you go into a space where you have a shared common interest with a bunch of people, I'm really into tabletop RPGs. I'm in a bunch of groups for that. And I've met all kinds of people and we like tabletop RPGs and we play games together. I learn way more about them from Mm -hmm. having this shared hobby this shared interest you know um a lot of people i love horror movies a lot of people love horror movies like that shared interest can be a a a cultural language and Mm -hmm. like i don't know i went through the awkward phase of transition the first two years where i was like well i can explain everything about being trans (laughs) the satisfaction of the cis i alone can do this and i just got two years in i was tired and i was like you know what i'm gonna make a weird fake true crime podcast about this and then dare people to listen to it i'm just increasingly like like not convinced that we can solve this by being better communicators online i think we will solve this by being better communicators in small enclosed spaces whether those are digital or whether those are real or we're going to solve this by telling stories and um i don't know i don't think that talking about these things on on social media is necessarily a net good but i'm just one person we have one quick question from a listener. Um, what is your favorite tabletop RPG? Ooh, my favorite <laughs> tabletop RPG. Um, well, I, I think that I think that the best tabletop RPG ever designed um, is A Quiet Ear by... Um, so uh, good. Avery Alder. Um, Avery is probably my favorite designer. Every game she makes is like 
so interesting and off the wall and quiet air is kind of her breakthrough um the the basic idea of it is you are people who have survived some sort of apocalypse and now you have a year before the real end comes and you like are looking and figuring out um it's you're drawing a map of this community and you draw <laughs> playing cards and each playing card has a question on it. You answer that and you draw it on the map and you're telling the story of this group of people and you know, they're going to die. There is a certain card that you will draw and everybody dies and mm -hmm. it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and I love it. Um, and uh, that, that's my pick. I actually think it's a good gateway game. I think people uh, frequently are able to sort of like get into the, the genre from that. So Quiet Air is my favorite of all time, but like I'm sure if you and I uh, questioner sat down and talked about it for, you know, uh, uh, 15 minutes, I would name 17 other things. So. <laughs> and uh, I have one last question, and it's from me. Hi, Caitlin. Uh, um, and that is, do you think that there's a chance that this Amazon Lord of the Rings show can be good? Uh, you should have said long time first time. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I, I don't think so. I'm afraid. Like, I'm willing to be pleasantly surprised. It is really weird to me how frequently these enormous, enormous fantasy franchises that become adapted for television, the showrunners are just some random white guys. Who yeah. Like, you know, have written stuff like David Benioff and D.B. Weiss when they took over Game of Thrones had not run a TV show before. But HBO <laughs> was like, here's a TV show. Um, and they had written stuff. You know, Benioff had written screenplays <laughs> and they were novelists. and all this. I'm not trying to say they hadn't done things before that show. But and Lord of the Rings is like that. And that's always a gamble when you are handing over something to showrunners who are inexperienced and don't quite know, you know, how the whole thing goes but like more power to him maybe it'll work i have i have supreme doubts but also you know i'm gonna i'm probably gonna watch it unless it's yeah. just awful <laughs> <laughs> all right emily thank you so much for coming on i mean you're welcome like i said we could talk literally all night and unfortunately we don't have that kind of time um but we'd love to have you back on uh in here in our second year of the show yeah absolutely uh, would you like me to take you out by singing some copyrighted taylor swift music so that you have to like pay for the rights no no please no. <laughs> I, I do not want i do not want a dmca here on our first ever <laughs> stream <laughs> such a delight to see you emily <laughs> all right and we're gonna to take you. a short break and then we'll we'll wrap the show okay Kate, caitlin are you ready for some out of context cancellations wait oh i'm sorry <laughs> so... <laughs> we'll be right there y'all <laughs> And we're back. I'm dying. I'm dying right now. That was great. You're so welcome. Whoa. So we we just had so many conversations with so many fan uh, fantastic guests. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling right now, Caitlin? I gotta be honest. I'm exhausted. <laughs> 
That is fair. That is fair. I was I was on a call for work before this live stream and I was having really bad autistic burnout. Oh, no. And somehow I have pulled it together. You've literally been carrying the live stream because I've been panicking about all our tech behind the scenes. It has been great. No, <laughs> things have been going so great. Um, are you ready for some out of context cancellation? Absolutely. Okay. Um, first one, Discord bot developers who have gotten into crypto. Oh my god, I'm so sick of hearing about crypto, but yes, we need to keep canceling crypto. Always. <laughs> so much, so much. Um, AC ACC, always cancel crypto. You heard it here first. <laughs> um... <laughs> And then something else is we are going to cancel shitty job interview practices, which I think we kind of canceled earlier today. Um, very, very of the moment. Um, yes. And let's get rid of job hunting altogether. Just. You mean like get rid of jobs or just the job yes. hunting process? I, I mean, uh, yeah. Work is only consensual. You don't have to work now. Gotcha. Right. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and you I can already do whatever do you want. Yeah, I already do that, so we're cool. <laughs> I mean, um... this next one I love so much. We are canceling well, like... the reply all button on office wide emails. Oh my god! It's about goddamn time. <laughs> you, I'm gonna be really catty right now. Do it. I'm Let's gonna be so snarky. Okay. So for, for those of you who don't know, there is there is a listserv. Uh, there are listservs in the audio industry where people just, like, reply all and have fights and get into drama. And, like, sometimes, like, often the person who starts the drama is, is correct because they're calling someone out for being shitty or not paying well enough. And then mm -hmm. there's just reply all forever of, like, shitty, like cis white people defending terrible pay mm -hmm. um i don't know i'm going on a rant reply all in office emails and professional stuff can be a lot and i, I think it should be canceled yes. yeah um oh this one okay so we're also going to cancel chronic pain um yes please i i'm really really tired of chronic pain um yeah totally and also the next one is the banks we're gonna cancel the banks <laughs> just wipe out half of my employment history please we have some listeners asking us to cancel their job specifically yes canceled canceled um also want to cancel premature death sure yeah we can do that um people with privilege and power not recognizing the fucked up power differentials or or even worse recognizing them um but not doing anything about it mm -hmm. like what the fuck yeah okay sorry yeah, no, don't things. apologize for that <laughs> um we also are going to cancel mayors describing their approach to homelessness as sweep surge which is like really what disgusting a terrible phraseology it's like it's like when newspapers write that somebody was struck by a bullet fired from a gun 
handled by a police officer. It's just like taking the humanity out of the situation. A quick sidetrack on that. Like, I live in D.C. and there's this one bridge uh, in a certain part of town that, that people who live in D.C. are generally familiar with where a lot of homeless people used to camp. And the city came in and literally bulldozed these people's tents. Mm. And they claimed at the time that it was to make the area uh, more accessible to pedestrians. But (sighs) instead, like, instead of opening up the way for pedestrians, they just put up all these concrete barriers so that the people couldn't recamp. So there's actually less sidewalk now than there was before. And, like, I walked through there dozens of times before the pandemic. I never had a problem with any of the any of the folks that lived there. And I just don't understand, uh, you know, why we have to keep doing all of this. We don't. And in fact, we could, uh, we could use the money that we have as society and, and fix all of the problems. But unfortunately, the politicians and want, want to keep this whole capitalism thing. So, <laughs> but we, we could just fix it. We could just give people housing. I don't know. Speaking um, of cast of capitalism, you can support our show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, also going to cancel Joe Rogan and his podcast, which seems of the moment. Yes. Very of the moment. Very much went into that <laughs> already on the show. And then last, but, but certainly not least, though... Uh, not the most important one. Yeah. Probably the least important one. But mo- but but we'd like to cancel dishes and having to do them. Yeah, if I literally turned the camera a little bit that way, you could see all of the dishes that have piled up in my kitchen. And I really hope my mom's not watching anymore because she'll probably yell at me about that. <laughs> yep, yep. No, I know. I know that life. I know that life. <laughs> um, can I add my own? Uh, in context cancellation please do so uh, I have a very special day coming up on Sunday Uh, I am turning 40 years old (gasps) and I would personally like to cancel 40th birthdays forever so I could just stay 39 look there there is so much like negative stuff around aging right and that's fair and so I understand your existential dread about that (laughs) Also, like, like, I don't know, I like, you know, more about yourself in the world than you ever have. Right. And like, I don't know. Sorry, I'm I need I need to hold space for your like your dread. I just I just like want you to be embodied and happy. (laughs) That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. I mean, I'm gonna go to the grave regretting that I never got to experience my 20s as a woman. So yeah, no, that's real. (laughs) okay on that note (laughs) i mean that is that is the biggest trans feel um yes yes no um okay so we're gonna be taking a few questions so if you have them drop them in and in the meantime um i am gonna go through some of the uh questions that we missed throughout the, Mm the live show and if you have any other questions let us know um so one person asked is how much a person, or sorry, um, is how much of a person, 
give me just a second. No worries. So, so the question is basically like how much of um, how someone can communicate in terms of like, you know, being messy online or having opinions about benign things or making mistakes is one um, allowed to be online? Like, how does that relate pledge? Um, can you say that again? It kind of cut out a little. Yeah. So basically the question is like, is how is how you're allowed to behave online yeah. related to social privilege? I do think that we get really wrapped up in these conversations. Um, yeah. Because, like, I'll give you an example. The other day, uh, one of my trans friends was talking about their experience uh, with their doctor and prescribing hormones. <clears throat> and, you know, my friend is a relatively successful white trans woman, you know, younger than me. Um, and she was just mostly venting <coughs> her frustration. And she got attacked for it. You know, there's like, yeah. there were people who were like, well, you know, you shouldn't spread medical misinformation. You know, we shouldn't be listening to medical misinformation from random white trans women. And I'm just like, is that is that really what's happening here? Like, this is just one person who, you know, had some issues with with how she was prescribed hormones, and now there's people like jumping down her throat, you know, accusing her of being privileged and things like that. And I think that there are times when we need to step back and consider our own perspective in a lot of ways on things and how it might be different from others. I think that's badly needed, but I also think that like sometimes we just need to chill a hundred percent a hundred and i don't know if that exactly answers the question i'm trying yeah. <laughs> no you're fine i think that it's highly related to social privilege like i think that um you know there are certain people who get attacked more Right. I mean, we've been talking about how a lot of times like people will dogpile on trans women. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I think that, you know, your social privilege does kind of does, like if you have social privilege that can protect you from some of that. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something. All of. Yeah. Um, and then um, who does Sam Wise, your cat, yeah. want to cancel? Because that is a very important question that oh, listeners had and uh, i'm very curious as well i'm almost 100 percent positive that samwise wants to cancel me why <laughs> because i don't feed him i mean i feed him but i don't feed him like Caitlin, fast when i cancel you no no <laughs> i don't feed him like fast enough for his liking <laughs> right right no my so, cat meows at me every morning yeah i mean the, mine doesn't meow at me he just like swipes his paw at me and um yeah and my friend abby in the ch in our church chat is going i've met sam wise in person and i take his side over caitlin so thanks for that abby i'm canceling our <laughs> <laughs> um but like uh no i don't know we have an infestation problem in my apartment right now and unfortunately they the bugs love to get into sam's food so uh if it's not me i'm sure it's the goddamn bugs that we're having trouble getting rid of 
the problem's improving though, so at least there's that. Okay, and then we have um, one more question, and then I think we're gonna sign out the show. Um, you know, do you think kind of these uh, diversity groups, like the one that Tara was a part of mm -hmm. at Netflix, do they have a practical purpose at you know large tech and game companies or even other companies? Do they actually create any value for employees? Ooh, I have some spicy takes <laughs> on this one. <laughs> um. I think it's complicated. I do think it's complicated, yes. I do think that ERG groups, uh, well, that's like saying an ATM machine, sorry. ERGs can provide some value in certain places where management is willing to listen. Um, I got asked the other day from somebody who was like, okay, our company, who I won't name, uh, currently has an LGBT group and the trans employees there are wondering if we should split off and have a trans only group and their concern was their numbers are much fewer as trans people but their voices get diluted in the LGBT group so it's like a balancing of needs and I was like you know honestly it depends on how seriously your company takes the ERG group you know the ERGs because there are some places where it's just a thing that people do to like pad their resume or whatever. And there are other places where, um, you know, employee resource groups end up doing quite a lot to help, you know, uh, management understand the needs of employees. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that question, unfortunately. There, is, there is not, and I, I agree with with what Caitlin's saying, but I'm gonna be a little spicy. And I will, um, I will note before you jump into that, that uh, in my experience, uh, I've only had a handful of jobs since I came out, and I've always been the only trans person uh, at those companies. So the ERG was me. <laughs> Yeah, so that kind of gets at one of the the big complaints that I have. So uh -huh. so I think that they can like it is possible for them to occasionally help make a workplace a little more inclusive or less hostile. However, I think it's often just in most cases it's just to make the workplace appear less hostile, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just like an and actually, it can set a lot of times it often um, falls onto the people who are marginalized to do the work where it's unpaid labor, right, um, for the company sometimes. And so um, I actually think that they can be very hostile to like hostile to um, marginalized employees and also like very like... Um, like kind of hide hide and make the company look better than it actually is and make mm -hmm. it look more progressive than it actually is while the company is exploiting those workers. Mm -hmm. um, oh, hello, Samwise. Samwise has appeared. Um, so yeah, I think it's very complicated because I do think that it can make very small improvements in individual people's lives. Um, but I also think that... Um, often the folks who are actually working in the groups are pretty exploited and overworked and that's 
really bad and that's actually making the work environment more hostile so i don't know yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway um is there anything else that sam wants to cancel oh my god his tail's so cute i feel like i feel like sam like doesn't know this um but but sam also samwise wants to ca uh, cancel capitalism with us i think really? i think samwise okay. is an anti-capitalist Kitty. Are you an anti-capitalist? Yeah. He's purring. He's such a good boy. Such a good boy. I think that's a good time to wrap. What do you think? Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone who I, um... listened to the live show. We really appreciate you tuning in. And yeah, this was great. I wanted to do a couple of thank yous. Um, Eden MW designed some special graphics for this live stream. So I know we shout them out you know at the end of every show i just wanted to add a special thank you for that um of course daniel peter schmidt made our theme song which you've been hearing throughout the night and then i also wanted to thank uh, my friends abby and serena abby was our twitch chat moderator for the night and serena was um uh the person in the green room if you will who made sure everybody's tech was working so uh big shout out to both of them